When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back here for part two of the discussion about the defense from the Panthers game, a happy, happy topic. And joining me is Jake Luke. Jake, how are you doing? I am doing good, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I appreciate you coming back one more time. You're uh, at Jake Luke on Twitter? Yes, sir. That's spelled L-O-U-Q-U-E. Okay, outstanding. And uh, if you haven't heard of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast, please give that a try. Jake is the co-host of that. Are you the host or the co-host? Uh, it's interesting. It's a little bit of a point of contention sometimes, but uh, I guess uh, I guess I'll be magnanimous here and say the co-host. All right, very good. So I I think we have it there. He's laid down the gauntlet. He's the host here. Uh, I'm just kidding. We uh we want to talk a little bit about the Ravens' pass rush uh, to start off here, and then we're going to get into some individual player discussion. Uh, but I know people often come here to talk about the pass rush, so we're going to do that. A uh, little bit of information off top. Uh, Baker Mayfield had ample time and space. That's, uh, as you know, the three-second pocket as I define it. And he had that on nine plays. Let me get to my notes here, and then I'll be in the right place to actually give you this information and not just putzing around. Okay, so with ATS on so 24% of the dropbacks, uh, they only gained 3.8 yards per play. Obviously, that's a pretty big breakdown. Baker Mayfield, as any NFL quarterback, should carve you up for about 8 to 10 yards per play uh, when you give him a three-second pocket. But he didn't get it done in this game. Part of it was probably win. The other part, the Ravens playing an awful lot of good coverage right now. Yeah, and it just feels like uh, 
something's missing there with their offense uh, in totality. And uh, it showed out there that just felt like there was a, a little bit of a lack of cohesion. And that's obviously going to be exploited against a really strong defense like the Ravens. Do you think anybody after seeing that game is would develop a different feeling about DJ Moore in particular? Terrace Marshall obviously was was the one really effective receiver, but DJ Moore was the one, you know, I, I don't take a lot of stock in this, but you certainly see people all over Twitter basically trading every draft pick the Ravens have for DJ Moore. I was kind of in on that, not like trading every draft pick, but uh, I was really intrigued by the possibility of the fact that he was already on a contract that you could kind of maybe make that work financially. Uh, but yeah, it didn't look great. And DJ Moore's like body language kind of struck me a little bit weird yesterday or uh, Sunday as well. And uh, ultimately, like, I think uh, there's no character stuff or anything like that, but it just, it feels like he's in, he's in a really tough place right now. He could probably use a fresh start, but uh, it seems like he's going to be sticking around there. I think they see him as uh, one of those building block players along with Brian Burns and Derek Brown. But um, yeah, it was a, uh, it was kind of a rough game from him overall. I thought Burns and Brown both look terrific on the defensive side of the ball. Those guys are monsters. Uh, great, great players to build around. Uh, but, uh, but I agree with you about uh, Moore that is a little disappointing to see uh, what was going on. Obviously, he didn't get a lot of targets in this game or didn't have a lot of catches anyway. Did he have, how many targets did he have? Let's take a quick look at that. But he was targeted only five times, three catches for 24. So that's not obviously anything that's going to, come out of the game as a as a good stat sheet number for him with 4.8 yards per target. That's uh, well below the Mendoza line for a wide receiver. And 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 this was not a good game. I, do you think any of this is Baker? Would he rather be playing with P.J. Walker? Or do you think it's it's not relevant to that? It's more about playing in Carolina right now. I think uh, it, it just uh, it kind of feels like a little bit of a broken operation right now. I think they do have a little bit more of an identity under Wilkes than they did under Rule near the end there. It just felt like Rule had completely lost control of the uh, the wagon there. Um, but, I mean, if you're going to be bad on offense, why not have a guy that can run around a little bit and kind of sling it? And uh, you had that with B.J. Walker. I think Baker Mayfield has been that guy to an extent at times, but uh, it just feels like a little bit of juice has been lost there. You know, we, we mentioned this in the first part, but one other problem could be for D.J. Moore is this is not a great team fit for him. If Foreman is really going to be a lot of the offensive identity, if they're going to run the football as they did in the five games previously, running for 800 yards, 160 a game, seven touchdowns, DJ Moore becomes less a part of this offense if that's what the Carolina Panthers are trying to do. He does. And I think that's kind of an unfortunate thing. And sort of what I was alluding to there is if they feel like he's that long-term plan kind of guy for them, then uh, he might be in a little bit of a tough spot here because it seemed like he really did want out the way he was talking to the media there at the end of the rule tenure. And uh, ultimately, you know, maybe they can still kind of take him into this offseason and then trade him somewhere. Maybe Baltimore, we'll see. But uh, yeah, it just feels like a total square peg round hole situation right there. And I don't think he's happy that they didn't move him. So let me frame up the question a different way. If you're correct that he's very unhappy there. And I think there could be lots of reasons, but if if one of the reasons is that the offense is no longer really built to emphasize him in any particular way, they've got other receivers too, which should help. I think it should end up helping him, but it does mean the targets get divided when a Terrace Marshall is now in the house. Um, does that guy make sense for the Baltimore Ravens when he's going to come to a eye-dropperized target environment for receivers, period? I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're tight end, you're a receiver, you're running back. I mean, all all receptions 
are lower. All targets are lower than with other teams, with the huge running on offensive identity the Ravens have, with the number of carries that go to Lamar, with the number of scrambles that go to Lamar that don't even end up being passes. Um, I, I just, I if if a receiver is unhappy for that reason, and I find out about it, it's the last guy I want to trade for. Yeah, I get it, but I'm also kind of wondering: Are we at the point where that's every wide receiver in the NFL? Because you've got it with you've got that going on with Elijah Moore, you've got it going on with DJ Moore. Yeah. You had it happening with Hollywood Brown. That's why he leaves town, and uh, it just feels like that's sort of a a little bit the nature of the position where uh, those guys want to be the diva, they want to be the Randy Moss, they want to be the focal point, and uh, ultimately, I think that's a pretty admirable attitude. And maybe it could be a situation where the Ravens trade for him and then they maybe shake hands and part with ways with Greg Roman and then say, Hey, let's, you know, we did the revolutionary thing where we, uh, 2019, we, we took that different kind of approach. We zigged when everyone zagged, maybe it's time to move things forward a little bit and we'll make the big wide receiver investment and we'll make that more of a focal point. Well, it, it, it would be an interesting change of direction because they're going to have to then re-answer a difficult question. The most difficult question for a GM is not, how do I spend the cap I've got? Because that's too general. The, the, the most difficult question is, where do I scrimp on the cap and still be able to succeed and win? So running back, great place to skimp on cap. And, and I think the Ravens have, have kind of proven that, that they can you know, find stylistic fits that, that will work with Lamar. Um, inside linebacker, if you can platoon on the weak side, allows you to not pay a second inside linebacker. That's, that's a very good thing when you can do it. Other than first contracts, I don't really know how to scrape at cornerback. It's a it's a much tougher position to say I can do without a without good cornerbacks. Other than you know you can you can go out and spend a lot of draft capital on cornerbacks or get lucky and get you know a, a later round cornerback. Uh, but you're certainly not going to play that game at left tackle. So so the question then becomes: Can I find guards? Do I naturally produce guards who that I never have to pay a guard a second contract kind of thing? Uh, I think that's a dangerous you know, continuity struggle. So the Ravens have found, you know, a high value position to de-emphasize and they're working towards that goal. I, I, I like the strategy in general and I understand why the with it teams like the Packers and who are not, they're not winning right now, but they are definitely a with it organization and the Chiefs who are winning and are definitely a with it organization, both have said, we're not going to pay the same kind of price for wide receivers that everybody else was going to do. Yeah, certainly. I think it uh, it speaks to the conversation that really is feels like the fulcrum point of Ravens Twitter for longer than a couple months, for years at this point. It just feels like it, a dam is it needs to break for some of these fans that they want them to finally just pony up and go all in on getting the big name wide receiver for Jackson. And I think DJ Moore might be a guy like that. And, you know, for the right price, like I said, I'd be in on it. I My preference would be just continue to do what they did in 2021, where maybe you go out and you get a couple number two receivers or you you emphasize it on the draft and you kind of maybe do both of those things and you continue to throw the proverbial dart. You don't push all your chips into the middle of the table, but uh, you keep reasonably investing there. I think that's, that's you know, maybe enough to ask. And uh, like I think I alluded to in the last episode, I don't know if they did enough of that this season. And uh, to kind of our conversation about what we saw out of this receiving core on Sunday, I think the evidence is bearing out a little bit so far maybe not totally the most fair sample with the, uh, the weather and everything, but uh, ultimately um, I, I think it's uh, an interesting conversation that is going to continue to go on here until they uh, actually do throw that dart, which who knows if they will. Right. So 
let, let me let me maybe frame this up one more way because you mentioned a very significant co- component of the f- fan base is just they can't understand why the Ravens won't go after wide receivers. They just cannot understand it. They're frustrated by it and they're pissed off by it. Every time the Ravens lose, they come out of the woodwork in droves. They win a game like this, they're still not happy. You know, this this was a dominant win the Ravens put together. I mean, obviously they didn't lead the the entire way by the 10 points, but they never trailed in the game. They destroyed the the, the Panthers by any reasonable measure that you're looking at in terms of their control of the game. Uh, you know, I, I just, I have a hard time with anybody who is not happy with the way this game is won. It's like Astros fans, if you go way back in the 1970s, they hated the Astrodome because they were losing, they were tired, quote unquote, tired of losing games two to one. Well, they were winning a whole lot more games two to one than they were losing two to one. So start looking at the at the thing from a glass is half full. Let me, let me turn that into a question because I really was intending to go that that way. So the, the Ravens are going to make the playoffs this year. I don't think there's any doubt about that at this point. The question is, if the Ravens were to make a deep playoff run, and let's define that as at least going to the conference championship, maybe even going to the Super Bowl, because I can, let's let's say they go to the Super Bowl and, and lose it, okay? Do you think that the people who are screaming for wide receivers, regardless of how it is done, will be any more willing to reconsider their position on the topic? Well, that's what they say is the point for them. They want yeah. to make it to a conference championship. And these are people that I'm close with. My, my good friend Vasilis here at uh, Baltimore Beatdown. He's, yes. <laughs> uh, we, we've gone back and forth on this a lot of times. And, uh, you know, I go back and forth on it myself. And I, I think I maybe side. I'm not as much the extremist as he is. But, you know, I side with him to the extent this season where they, they could have done more. And uh, I am curious to see what happens where this really was the year where they did not do anything at wide receiver this offseason, like nothing except for Robinson, who I think was a, a very solid move as far as August move go moves go. And uh, that bore itself out on Sunday. But man, it just they really just kind of went all in on this strategy that he and others seem to be uh, really against. So, yeah, to your point, it would be really interesting if they get a cupcake New York Jets team coming here to Baltimore in a wild card round. And then they, you know, let's say they steal a divisional game on the road. And then let's say they lose in the conference championship game and somehow Demarcus Robinson has a big game and they to lose Kansas like, city. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And let's say Demarcus Robinson has a big game in that game. And it's like, Oh, well, you know, the wide receiver had a big game and they made it to a conference championship. Are you happy? And I think ultimately uh, I, it might be somewhere in the middle. I don't want to like pass judgment or like police fans to, to that kind of extent, but I just do, I do think it's kind of funny because I do think if that does happen to your point, I don't think they'll be happy. And I yeah. think that's the, the trap you get into if you if you do results-based thinking like that a little bit. Yeah. And and that it, it's obviously part of the problem of of a moving crossbar for Lamar in general is is to say basically, well, you're never going to win a Super Bowl with him. That becomes the next, you know, thing. You now it's you can't you can't win in the playoffs consistently. And and you know, it's it's a small sample size. It's four four ball games. They've lost three of them. That's not good. Uh, you know, they they tend to be better teams, so your playoff wins are harder to come by. But hey, Joe Flacco had a bunch of playoff wins. Why can't we, you know, you know, just go back to a wide receiver offense and and focus on that? Uh I, I personally, just handicapping the situation, I find it difficult to to find that we will see change. But I would like anyone who thinks that their their view on the importance of wide receiver talent will change based on whether or not the Ravens can make a conference championship. Leave a comment after you listen to this 
uh, along with the the uh, uh, the show promo. And I'd love to kind of have a little conversation about it online, get a little conversation started because I think I think that's a fun topic. And you know, the worst thing you can do as a trader, as a human being, is to become wedded to a position. Uh, it just it just be nice to think that we can all have a discourse about this. And hey, maybe maybe they're right. You know, this is the fact. Maybe the 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 folks who say you have to have wide receivers are actually right, and we have to reconsider this after two more playoff losses, say with Lamar Jackson. And, and figure out where the hell this organization is because they just can't seem to win in January. Uh, you know, you really got to be willing to do that. But then the hard question comes with that. Once you want wide receivers and we go out and the Baltimore Ravens spend $30 billion a year on wide receivers, where are you going to economize? Where are you going to not spend? You're going to give up Roquan and Patrick Queen because that's what it might take to get a Tyree kill here. Uh, is that is that a reasonable you know, alternative. Now, obviously, they're not going to give up both those. They're going to give up Roquan, and they're going to give up, you know, Marcus Peters probably. But uh, that's an awful lot to 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 get one good wide receiver. Yeah, it is, and that's just sort of the going right on uh, free agency with those top options. And I think that's where it is, sort of where you meet in the middle a little bit, or at least where I'd like to. Where it's like it's fair to say they didn't do enough this off season. It might have been fair to argue that in years past. I've always been fairly pro front office because I feel like they're building it in the correct way that you would around Lamar Jackson and his unique skill set. I just think it's not as necessary of an investment, but I also don't think you should shirk it to the extent that they did this year. So yeah, it's an interesting kind of balancing scale that you mentioned there. All right, well, let's continue because we got into the very first topic on our list for this the second show, which was ample time and space for Baker Mayfield. And we got into a lot of discussion about franchise building and whatnot. Uh, Mayfield had the ball come out quick 10 times uh, in the game. That's uh, what, 26%? Uh, 27%, 69 yards on those plays, 6.9 yards per play. They generated a pressure event. And this is really cool. 18 plays, 49% of his 37 dropbacks, which resulted in a pass or, or a sack. Um, he only gained 3.7 yards per play on those, which is about normal, maybe a little bit below average with a pressure event involved. What was really nice is they only had four, three or four pressures in the first half. So basically the entire second half, three pressures in the first half. 15 pressures in the second half on Mayfield. So a high percentage of passes. Um, it really felt like he was running for his life most of that second half. Yeah, it did. And it could be another thing where I talked about offensively, maybe setting things up in, in the first half and then uh, changing up direction after they they don't really have time to meet in the locker room and talk about it. Uh, it could be the defensive version of that where maybe they were sitting back a little bit, not getting up in his face as much and maybe keying on Foreman. Uh, it did feel like a marked difference there in the second half. So maybe that was a uh, intentional little bluff from McDonald. Yeah. It's not like they had a big lead. It was three to nothing at halftime. And then it became three to three again. So it wasn't all of that. I'm just looking at my, at my sheet. If you look to the second half here, uh, he did more in terms of rushing numbers. No, he didn't did about the same, maybe even less in terms of rushing numbers. So uh, for numbers for the game, very bland kind of game plan. We've seen a lot of this, uh, uh, difference from Wink, Wink, you know, rush anywhere from three to eight, you know, on, on uh, individual plays. He didn't rush three any, rushed four 23 times, 5.1 yards per play, two sacks and three turnovers. That's certainly good. He rushed five 13 times, 52 yards, 4.0 yards per play and two sacks. That's certainly good. Six, six one time for zero yards. So it's not like he's bringing the house ever. It's not like they show these cover zero looks all the time and they back out of them or they, uh, uh, or they bring them. Uh, they just really don't take those kind of chances against a team like, like Carolina. Some of that to me is opponent specific and condition specific. They never got behind in this game. 
I'm of the opinion when you're playing an inferior opponent, they may not have looked at Carolina like this. You want to play as much small pot poker as possible, meaning you're not looking to have any individual play create a large difference, a large swing in win probability, what we would call leverage. Uh, it's it's uh, the, the more small decision plays you can play, the better in terms of having your team be a chance to win it. So if, if, if you had a... Let me put it a different way. If you had a 1% advantage on every hand of blackjack you ever played, boy, would that be great if you could get that. And and you'd rather bet a level amount every hand that was you know, a, a relatively small percentage of your net worth. Uh, there there are formulas for the same math. I don't want to go into it. But but anyway, if you bet $100 every hand, hopefully you wouldn't be broken from that uh, or, or you should bet less. You bet $100 every hand is better than betting $1,000 every hand uh, or even maybe varying your bet from one to five thousand based on what the count was, because you're just you're you're putting too much in the pot and you're putting too much of your risk of ruin on the line at once. And I think one of the Ravens' fourth down decisions on a fourth and two actually came down to that. It, it was a positive expectation play to go for it. They didn't in this case, and I thought it was a really good move to basically continue to play small pot poker against this Carolina Panthers team. By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used Liquid Death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of Liquid Death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down Liquid Death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take Liquid Death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. Yeah, and it feels like they're starting to realize that on offense a little bit. It feels like they don't have the... uh they're not swaggering around as much on fourth downs. They're not trying to kind of force it square peg round hole the, the fourth down decision making just because it worked for them in the past. I think they realized that they the push in the run game, it's there, but it's maybe a little bit different. It's not quite as dominant as it was in 2019 when it felt like fourth and two was an automatic first down. Uh, they don't really have the horses in the passing game to really threaten there a ton. So they've definitely dialed that back a little bit and that feels good. And then I guess to the defensive side of the ball, you're kind of having the same conversation and if you have the talent and they're a lot more talented on defense, the Carolina is on offense, then why open the door really that much for them? And they, they certainly didn't. They kind of just kept everything in front of them and they said, Hey, Carolina, go beat us. And of course they weren't able to. Right. Yeah. I think, I think uh, that's where I am too on that. And I, I'd be interested to see if it changes against a team like Kansas city. If you go back to that 2019 game at Kansas city, they, they took a lot of risk on fourth down. They, they went for two extra points two two point conversions, I should say. And and I think those were all justified mathematically from from where they were in the game and and they were the right calls and it was a significantly talented talented opponent on the road. It's where you can take some high variance chances. It's where 
the other team has a lot more to lose in terms of of what's going on. So I I like that. And uh, uh, I think they will be back to that, by the way. I think some of it was probably weather dependent. I don't think Harbaugh or the way that these decisions are made in the NFL is going back to the good old days anytime soon. I think there may be some some ruin theory that comes into it that's a little different than, than it has been before. But I, I don't think we're going to go back to uh, seat of the pants um, decision making of, of uh, you know, 2000. Yeah, I'll be interested to see like if and when we do see that uh, switch flip a little bit, because it feels like the last couple of weeks it has kind of been that conservative, uh, cons- a little bit more conservative, I should say. And uh, maybe that's just my eye test, but uh, it does feel like while I'm sure they are incorporating the Daniel Stern data and whatever it is that they've got at their disposal, it does feel like there is a little bit more game flow feel to it. So uh, I think, uh, yeah, when you get into the playoffs and you're going to go up against some of these more high powered offenses, I think you are going to want to be more aggressive in certain spots. So maybe tuning up for that at some point. All right. Uh, let's see. The other thing I want to talk about was was some of the uh, specialized uh, elements of deception the Ravens used in this game. Uh, they're also very limited. I mean, they obviously had 37 plays. They only blitzed seven times on six different plays. So two, one pair and five other individual plays. Uh, on those six plays, the um, the Panthers only gained 15 yards. It was sack minus nine, sack minus eight among those plays, two incomplete passes, a pass for 24 where Hamilton had a quarterback hit and another pass for eight. So uh, they held them held them very effectively there. Uh, that, that's, those are off-ball blitzes, by the way, and I know, Jake, we've never talked about this, that come from at least 1.5 yards off the line of scrimmage or no closer in than the slot receiver. If you're within that rectangle otherwise, you're a declared blitzer and and uh, and you're not counted as a, a declared pass rusher and you're not counted as a blitzer. Uh, stunting. They only did three of those, uh, 0.08 per pass plays. The three stunts went for one net yard, included one sack and, and one turnover, and all three of those ended drives, which I find remarkable because some of those stunts are called right on the field. They're not, it's not actually um, a McDonald calling that in. It's Calais Campbell making a decision on that play. Hey, we're going to stunt on this play, you know, loop over. I'm seeing something I can cross his face. Uh, he's allowed to do that apparently anytime, not just him, but, but in general, they're allowed to call these on the field as long as there is not a blitz called on the play. And it feels like that's where they're starting to really have some fun with that yeah. Queen Smith pairing where uh, they are kind of sending one guy one one way and uh, he'll take that initial step and then they'll rip back the other way. And it just, man, it's it speaks to uh, just the absolute hurricane that those two, two guys can be together when uh, they're 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 having fun like that in the middle of the field. It, it really is a great pairing. I, it's almost looked like a tell to me these these first two games that if one's up and one's back, the guy in back is blitzing. That guy up is dropping. <laughs> and, uh, but it's look it's it has looked great in terms of uh, of what's happening. And obviously, uh, both of them are are you know penetrating and and making plays in the backfield. And we saw one cross blitz. I think that was against the Saints where. You know, one fired across to drew the eyes of the guard, and another went in. We saw. We, we I think that was Queen who who ended up contributing to that sack or pressure, whichever it was. And then we had another play where Queen uh, threw a tremendous pick in there to get who was it? Who was it got free? Because I think it was Houston on a, on a two gap stunt that that uh, uh, curled through the middle for for that. It was a terrific play by Queen that that I think you know there, there's plenty of people around town who are telling you what happened but you know i think queen it's nice to see him make a play like that where he's not the ultimate guy uh uh, delivering the the sack but those contributory plays are just are just wonderful to see yeah they really are and i think they uh again when they speak to the maturity and they speak to uh 
him settling down and being a little bit more of a cerebral player. You know, when when we talk about those, if you if you hear the two thousand defense talk together, and, and and various of them have talked at events and whatnot. Ray Lewis will talk all the time, obviously, but in particular with Ray, but this is true of others as well. If you get them to talk about the defense, one of the most common words you keep hearing coming up is trust. It's it's the understanding that if you play your assignment that somebody behind you, the person behind them is also going to play their assignment and make the play. They're going to, they're going to play their gap correctly. So you don't need to make every play. But the other thing that comes along with trust is making sure that you hustle and you, and you make it to the play. It really looks like the Ravens defense has put those pieces together in these last couple of games in terms of they are flying to the football. Uh, they've allowed one fluke touchdown in two games, not even slightly concerned about that, given the, the, the nature of that. They haven't trailed. Do they trail against the Saints at all? They trail by three at some point? I don't think they did. I could be wrong. Yeah. So they, they uh, if, even if they hadn't led the whole way, it's, it's been, uh, uh, you know, it's been pretty close to that these, these last two weeks. So uh, it's just been a, uh, a great run of defensive football they've been on. And uh, it, it reminds me in some ways of 2000, of the 11 billiard balls, uh, you know, all rallying to the ball carrier. And, you know, maybe a billiard ball doesn't take you out on the first hit, but it will on the second and third and the fourth when, you know, it starts to really hurt. Uh, you know, the things that went on in that season, forgetting the stats for a moment, what happened was just so wonderful. The way they knocked quarterbacks out of the game was one thing, but the, one of the really... Uh, iconic moments from that 2000 season was seeing Corey Dillon walk off the field in disgust and slam the football down because his offensive line just couldn't get anything done against the Ravens defense. And his Bruce Coslett was the coach of the Bengals that year. And he's saying, go back on the field, go back on the field. And they had to call a timeout at that point because Dylan went to the bench and he sat down and they said, you know, it, 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 he's, he's going to really regret that. And Corey Dylan has just set, set or come close. Now he'd set the all time record for yards in a game just a few weeks before that. And then in that game against the Ravens, he ran 16 times for four yards and he, he, he gave up. And by the way, after that timeout, they did put him back in the game and they threw a pass to him. Which is the weirdest thing that you know they want to say. You know nothing's wrong to our to our one star, but the the coach did not last the week. He was out that week. He he resigned from as uh, as head coach of the Bengals after the Ravens won that game thirty seven to nothing. Yeah, and I think that uh, that also speaks to trust. I mean, you talk about having trust as a defensive line, and you know it makes you think how weird that must be to play with your back to your teammates like that, and uh, kind of having to rely on them to ultimately come in there and. Uh, make those plays. I mean, conversely, as much as, uh, you know, I'm not totally on that running backs don't matter train. They are pretty reliant on that offensive line. And uh, when the defensive line is wrecking shop along the offensive line, then that creates a lack of trust in the the running back and the quarterback, obviously. So uh, definitely uh, the, a little bit of a psychological element to it there too. Yeah. All right. So now we'll come to the point in the show where we talk about individual players. Uh, you are the guest. Uh, we'll talk about whoever you like first and kind of alternate Make your comments. I'll I'll come back at you with some other comments about the player, and then we can move on. I cannot hear you right now. You might be muted. Sorry about that. Uh, you got me. It's usually me. I, I I this is the first time I've caught the guest in the last thirty mutings. I would say. Yeah, just trying to keep that production value up, and sometimes you uh, you lose yourself a little bit. <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, I guess we, we've talked in, enough about Hamilton. He would he was really the guy that jumped off the screen to me as far as defense. But I'm kind of curious to get your take on how Marlon Humphrey played in this one because uh, he had the interception to seal things off there. He made a nice play in one-on-one coverage that I noted in my notes here. But uh, just from kind of your your trained eye, how was uh, how was 44 looking out there? I yeah, you, you you don't have to ask the questions. You can make your own comments about this too. I don't want to I don't want to take away from you, but. Uh, loved his game, loved everything about what happened. They didn't throw at him much. Mayfield threw one pass. I think it was to Marshall that went incomplete just out of his reach. And uh, actually maybe, maybe should have caught the ball. Maybe it kind of went through his hands, but it was Humphrey was in trail coverage. And uh, otherwise they threw one other pass to him that was intercepted. I don't think there was a third target, Tim. I might be wrong, but uh, I don't remember a completed pass against Humphrey. Now, sometimes, and this is normally the way I look at it, the up defender, you you kind of charge with a completion when, when it's in zone defense. So you don't, if, if they're playing cover three, Humphrey might be behind the receiver. And the only guy who can really make a play on it is typically an inside linebacker. And so he usually gets the coverage responsibility for that place. So it could have been something like that. But regardless of how you do it, Humphrey blitzed off the slot and looked like a ton of bricks coming in. In fact, he really beat the block of the right tackle Moten who chipped on him. Uh, and I, I, I was very impressed by that. That forced a move up in the pocket and Pierre Paul cleaned up that for the sack. Uh, I, I, I just loved where he was. The, the forced fumble and being there for the recovery uh, like he was getting a clean pickup on the football. Those things are important. They're not easy, but we've seen Humphrey make a number of clean pickups on a football on the ground. Uh, which is which is a skill unto itself that it, that is positive, being able to scoop and score uh, like that. And you know, unfortunately, it didn't work out this game. But I thought he's just terrific. Yeah, no, and I, I was glad to kind of tee you up there and then kind of loop in with my own comments because it is one of those things with a cornerback where sometimes when they have a good day, you really don't see them a ton. And uh, I definitely did see him when he was making that play one on one. I think against Tommy Tremble, um, deep uh, on the left sideline, going north. I think. Uh, so that was nice to see. And then obviously the interception was great. The scoop was great. You really, that's, that's a good point that you make there. I think the, uh, the, the ability to punch the ball out and then scoop it up on some plays that he has in the past, like against the Steelers in 2019, yep. it's just a, a very aesthetically pleasing thing with him. And then, uh, yeah, man, he's just a, a brick S house coming, coming downhill sometimes there. So, uh, He's uh, he's a joy to watch, and I thought he was uh, great on Sunday. So we've seen some tremendous physical play from Humphrey this year. It looks like you know he's he's stronger maybe than he's ever been. Maybe he's, maybe he's, has actually bulked up some. But um, the physical play against I think it was the Patriots to basically come off his own man, and the, the way he was able to come off his own man and make a play on the ball was that he uh, jammed at the line of scrimmage for extra long against a very large physical receiver. To do that, and then he's able. He saw where the pass was going, able to release and get onto the other guys, you know, man, and make a play on the ball. I, I what he has, what he's done this year. He's to me, he's certainly going to the Pro Bowl. Uh, you know, he's back in terms of any other uh, considerations of of past injuries and whatnot. But uh, he's he's playing some great football. Uh, I, I should I name a player now? I feel like I, I cheated you out of most of the comments about Humphrey there. No, no, I think I got in what I needed to get in. So yeah, let's uh, let's keep it moving. All right, let's talk about uh, how about Jason Pierre-Paul. I, I think I I love the balance of his contributions in this game. Started the game, which is terrific. You know, they really need some guys in there who could be two down run defenders. Uh, Bowser is good in that role. He looked good in this game, but but I thought Pierre-Paul is a good guy to start. There, they also have been using 
uh, Harrison a little bit. Now, he only played four snaps, but he did get the start in this game again at outside linebacker. So I don't know if they plan to like give him a couple more starts for all he did for the Ravens while he was basically playing out of position this year, or if they really want him to play some first and second down defense in, on an ongoing basis, because his total snap count would not tell you that. It's only the fact that he started the game that would kind of tell you that. Um, uh, so so I, I, I'm kind of wondering what will happen. But getting back to Pierre Paul, pass rush, um, uh, he's deflected some passes at the line of scrimmage. He's played the run, I think, exceptionally well. He's a good cleanup guy, and he's been a good first pressure guy. So I've liked both of those things about him. But nice, balanced production fits well with the other outside linebackers on this team. Yeah, and I hit on it in the previous episode, I think, where – He's making impact plays, man. He's getting into the backfield. He's swallowing up uh, running backs in certain spots. And then he had the interception, obviously. And that's just not something that you get with a guy that you sign off the street very often. And uh, that, that speaks really well to uh, speaks really well to, uh, I, I guess, just him as a, as a guy and his work ethic and everything, because uh, he was out of football for a little bit. And obviously he's had his issues with his hand and everything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just been uh, really nice to see what he's been able to do here. And I thought he was great on Sunday. The Ravens have done so well getting some older guys to come in off the street at midseason these past four years. Since DaCosta has become GM, really, if you look at the guys they've they've brought in for very significant defensive roles, you'd have to include Josh Bynes, who's twice bailed out their inside linebacker core, even though he's now inactive. Uh, LJ Fort, uh, Demata Pecco. Uh, who's the other guy? Je- Jelly Belly Ellis, right? Ell- Jelly Ellis. Yeah. Uh, uh trying to think of other guys that that fit this good jihad ward um i don't even know if he was a mid-season acquisition i may be putting that wrong i think he they, was i could be wrong on that i could be too so i i, I really don't know but then they, even even the guys that got during the offseason like justin houston you know it really speaks to the to, to the understanding the ravens have and and the um intestinal fortitude that DaCosta has to go to the bargain bin for guys who you know, are just a, a much better deal relative to the to the top players you'd sign. And, you know, none of these guys are generating, uh, 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 Houston is generating some, but but really they're not generating a lot of one-on-one wins. Even Houston's sacks during this amazing stretch he's having are mostly two-man sacks, mostly times where he's cleaning up. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't want to limit it to just that. He certainly has made some individual plays as well, but but uh, it, it's it really speaks to what the Ravens have done in terms of finding players for bargain prices. Yeah, and I think there's a bit of a stigma with doing so at times. You know, Bill Parcells used to call guys like that progress stoppers and things of that nature, but I, I don't know. Like, it, it just seems like something that they do have a knack for doing, going back to Ozzy even uh, in certain cases. So, yeah, I think it's a, a feather in their cap from the front office perspective and from a coaching perspective as well, to be able to incorporate those guys on the fly. That can't be easy to uh, bring in JPP if you're Mike McDonald and get him in the field and get him in the uniform making plays right away. Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And they, they've had to do that with so many players at that outside linebacker position out of necessity. You know, bring in Copeland and, and Devon Kennard and and Ada Ochu, bring up elevating him from the practice squad. It's going to really be a list of, of pretty hilarious names that will create a very difficult trivia question if this team goes all the way to the Super Bowl is name all the guys who played outside linebacker for the 2022 Ravens and it'll be a list all right so I'm sorry did you say enough about Jason Pierre-Paul you if so you're you're next up no I think I said my piece on him uh and I guess do you want to 
kind of talk about both the inside linebackers together or do you want to split them up? However you want to do it. Yeah, I think Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith are kind of feeling like a little bit of a package deal to me. And I think they happily see it that way with their comments post game about how well they're meshing together. And we've talked about it a little bit with how creative and fun it is to watch. And even me, someone who's a little bit of a neophyte with film study, particularly on the defensive side of the ball, you can kind of pick out the fun stuff that they're doing where you mentioned like the tell with like the bluff blitz and then, oh, that guy's actually going to peel off and it's getting to the point where you know, that's almost cliched and now maybe it's going to go back the other way, but uh, you saw a little bit from that. Uh, and it just felt like a vintage Patrick Queen game where I think back to 2020 and the start that he got off to in his rookie season. And it really felt like he was maybe going to be that next guy. Uh, I'm thinking specifically of that Bengals game where they came into Baltimore against no one and uh, against no one in the crowd, I should say. And, um, you know, Patrick Queen was playing like he had his hair on fire and he scored a touchdown and had a, a huge game against his old buddy, Joe Burrow. Uh, it, it felt like a game like that, where he was just all over the field, in the backfield, making plays. And uh, kind of, it felt like he was communicating a lot more on defense than uh, you'd see in years past. And I think Roquan Smith was a big part of that, who it felt like he was doing kind of the same stuff, but maybe he was kind of a little bit more the fundamentally sound stopper as opposed to the playmaker in this game. So I think a nice package deal there with the inside linebackers. Yeah, I, I I mean I I agree. I think that that when Bynes was re-signed in twenty one, yeah, nineteen and twenty one were the two Bynes years. So when they when they got Bynes back, immediately saw an uptick in Queen's play. And and the thing I would say about Bynes was Bynes was a slow player whose play speed was a lot faster than his forty time, and Queen was just the opposite. Instincts not at the same kind of level as other inside linebackers that need to make a living off their instincts. So, you know, what, what we've seen, I think there's a, there's a, Patrick Queen, Queen certainly has better instincts than he did when he first entered the league. But more than that, he's, he's uh, probably keying off some of the things that Roquan is doing in the same way that he keyed off some of the things that Bynes was doing. And he certainly, by being the trail player more often, uh, and I, I know I understand the notion that he occasionally sometimes lines up still on the tight end side, and you know you could call him a Mike linebacker because of that. But uh, you, you, I think he's more off in the trail position, and he's more free to do the things that that can make him be the best player he can be. I want to I want to focus on something else positive because it's been something I have absolutely baked Patrick Queen for in the past is is what a lousy tackler he's been. Patrick Queen had twelve tackles in this game. He didn't miss one. All right, he's had about a 17 or 18% career uh, missed tackle rate entering this game. It's very hard to, to you know, roll the die 12 times and have no ones come up in a game like this. That's about what you need to do to, to, to go with no missed tackles uh, in a game like this. It didn't happen by accident, is my point. He's, he's been, been a much better form tackler. I have to believe Roquan has had something to do with it. And I think also, if you look back to last year, I really don't think the relationship with Rob Ryan worked out. So we had COVID year. I, I, I hate making excuses for the guy because you just, at some point you got to grow up and learn how to play football at a higher level. But you had the, the COVID year where he started and, and it was more difficult for him. And things obviously weren't working out in coverage that year. And then you have last year and Rob Ryan was there. And just seeing the two of those interact in camp, you could tell there was not a connection there in terms of that. And they had a lot of time to work together because Patrick Queen does not play special teams. So they've got a 20-minute special team section where Rob Ryan can be working one-on-one with Patrick Queen, the only linebacker who does not play special teams, to determine all sorts of new things. But that relationship just clearly was not there. 
Yeah. And it doesn't really shock me looking no. <laughs> at Rob and, you know, I'm reading, I'm reading back through collision low crossers again. And, uh, it, you get a lot of wreck stuff in there and like old school Raven stuff. And, uh, you know, I think for better and for worse, Patrick Queen is a, a different guy than that. I think he's a, a modern young guy and I think he's going to connect more with a Mike McDonald. Like I said, when he came on our show, he made some, I wouldn't say like thinly veiled comments like i you know i don't want to like say that he's kind of savaging the ryan brothers or anything like that or rob ryan or wink martindale or anything like that but it, it just felt like he maybe wasn't in love with the previous coaching staff and uh seems like he he's really found a home here under uh, his guy mike mack so yeah i think you know the other guy i think i would say is a big part of this is zach Orr. now zach Orr. It seems like it's been an eternity since he's played for the Ravens. I mean, it really does since, you know, he was, he was a hell of a player when he was last year. That was in, what, about 2016 or 17? And Zach Orr is still just 30 years old right now. I mean, it's a very relatable age to Patrick Queen. They, he can talk about all the mistakes he made in the same way. He can talk about all the things that, that, that he did well. And they probably have lots of other things in common that are not directly related to football. Or they might anyway, because people of similar age often do. And I, it's just, I think that's it's going to be a much higher chance to, you know, to get that working connection than you will with a 60-year-old Rob Ryan who um, you know, is different in so many ways. All right, so we talked. I, I I don't have a lot to say about Roquan from this game. I actually thought he played a little bit better against the Saints than he than he did in this game. But uh, missed a couple tackles in this game, which was which is a little bit unfortunate. But I think still he's he is a heavy, and I think he is a guy who I don't think the Ravens are going to quickly take off the field for any plays at this point. They had him off the field for some against the Saints. I think he's basically in for every play, probably with Queen, uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and I, I certainly hope he is because, like we've been hitting on, uh, going back the last, uh, you know, the last several times we've talked about him here, it just feels like they're getting the best out of each other here. So, all right, uh, let's see. We talked about Adafi away a little bit um, already, but let's do it again just here to recap what he did because uh, I do want to mention one thing, and that is PFF and I have a different method for for pressures and. There, there are two major components to it. One is a three three second standard that I use, and they use two and a half. And if you're asking me how how can you calculate time that closely, I'll tell you you can easily do it with a DVR. You can actually calculate time uh, to three one hundredths of a second accuracy. And actually, this was a Fox game, which is which is uh, broadcast at sixty frames per second rate. So you can actually do it to one sixtieth of a second um, if you want really that kind of accuracy. So it's not hard to do that. And you can just do it. You, you you hit pause on your DVR recording, and then you hit fast forward, and you go one frame at a time, effectively. If you've got a Directv remote, anyway, that's that's what I've got. So I think it's probably the same on most remotes, would be my guess. But Oa had five pressures that occurred within three seconds, where he was in there threatening either the quarterback, a uh, hand in his face, or more importantly, a lot of the times bullying the defender directly into the cone where Mayfield couldn't easily step into a throw. So uh, at a big difference in terms of pressures with me having five and PFF having two. So I want to explain why I think it was, but I thought his play, particularly in that second half when he had four of his five pressures was really key to um, giving Mayfield a crappy uh, time of it in that second half. 
Yeah, definitely um, being in the stadium and watching uh, just in person, you could tell how uncomfortable it was for Mayfield and how little time he had. And uh, definitely that strong side where you had Owe collapsing in on them a little bit, uh, you, you you could tell that he was uh, feeling the pressure uh, that way. So, do, do you? I know a lot of fans are kind of upset that his snaps have been reduced so much and he played only 22 snaps. Where are you in terms of that, in terms of wanting to get maybe more out of the player developmentally? but also wanted to get the highest quality of snaps on a per snap basis that you can from a player like OA. Yeah, I, I'm a quality over quantity guy, 100%. I feel like those same people are the ones that would complain about Judon getting dropped into coverage or whatever. It just yeah. feels like, you know, get the best out of your guy. And uh, I, I'm going to trust Mike McDonald uh, and his ability to to develop this guy than like whatever I think, right? Yeah, I I, I certainly, but, uh, but he's... Uh, uh, he certainly seems to be putting the pieces together. I really am expecting a big second half from him. I guess I said that earlier in, in terms of some of the pass rush stuff or maybe in the in the first uh, episode that we recorded, but uh, uh, I'm looking forward to a big rest of the year. You, who's your next guy? Uh, I guess we can... Uh, let's talk a little bit about Marcus Peters. I think uh, a little bit of an up and down game for him, but uh, I think ultimately, and this would just be my overall kind of overarching point with him was this kind of felt like his season in a microcosm a bit where he gets burned on a couple plays and then maybe you're ready to quit on him and get a little bit frustrated. And uh, he just does something that wows you where he rips the ball out of shy Smith and that effectively wins the game for you. So uh, that's kind of my overall thoughts. I, I don't know what you, uh, you saw from him. Well, I mean, I love the big play player. He is, I that's, you know, a lot of times I talk about Marcus Peters, the gambler in terms of going after the football and knowing when it's the right thing to do. That was a form of that in terms of making that tackle. And it looked like Shy Smith wanted to go down himself a lot worse than Marcus Peters wanted to take him to the ground, which is which is probably the right thing for Shy Smith in that case. But he knew exactly what he was doing going for the corner of that football. He was not taking Shy Smith down in any kind of hurry. I think he actually pried his would be his right arm. I think I think Shy Smith had the ball in his left arm, didn't he? I think he pried his left arm, his his right arm away from the body, which was his first move. And it's like that's not a tackling motion, you know. That's 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 to get his other arm off the ball there, and then he and then he goes in right for the point of the finger football, right? He's able to get under there, and as Shy Smith is trying to go to the ground, he can't get there uh, without giving it up. And I I really love that. I, I I talk about it a lot of times his gambling usually integrates very well with understanding how the pass rush is approaching the play. So if they have a blitz coming up, if there's a good chance that um, the, the pressure is going to get there quicker, then he will take a gamble on utter, undercutting a route where he's not 100% sure how, how it's going to work out. I trust his gambling instincts better than anybody else um, almost in NFL history. I mean, he's up there with Ed Reed in terms of gambling. and Ed Reed didn't have a lot of specific coverage responsibilities that he would be blowing to gamble. Uh, you know, he certainly wasn't, you know, he's not a cornerback, so he doesn't have the same kind of one-on-one. He's more of a freelancer um, to, to start with. But I I really love seeing that from from Peters. And uh, he, he may be one of these players who can play a lot longer than we had expected. Uh, maybe move to safety eventually, but he can play a lot longer than we expect even at cornerback. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I don't necessarily want to take away from the prep and the work that he puts in because obviously it's a ton. It's probably on par with an Ed Reed, but uh, it just feels like he's got the killer instinct. You know, he's got that playmaking instinct that uh, very few guys have, and uh, you, you see it in spots like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, that certainly is an exciting one. I tell you what, I, I will just prepare you for this. I, we usually do defensive MVPs three to one. So if you want to start making your list right now while I go into my next guy, we could uh, we could do that, or maybe you already have it figured out. Uh, Broderick Washington, kind of an under the radar game here, but I thought he did made a lot of pretty high contributory plays, and right now it's even difficult to rank him in terms of how important he is. But he's at least the Ravens' third most important defensive lineman. Um, okay. Third most contributory defensive lineman after Campbell and Matabike right now. So he played 29 snaps in this game. And that's, I'm sorry, wrong number of snaps there. He played only 13 snaps um, in this game. They only, they only had 29 yards on his plays, uh, which is a really low number, but he played the run effectively, had some, had a couple of decent plays against the run, but more importantly, he deflects a pass when he's double teamed. Just unbelievable that Bozeman and the right guard are both blocking him. He can still elevate and get up. Frankly, uh, it's not a good look for those two guys that they allowed it to happen. You know that they didn't, weren't making any move to the body on him on, on a on a play like that. Uh, but uh, but it was what it was, and it was a, a really cool time to see the game finished. A really cool way to see the game finished off. Yeah, and I think uh, Washington is a guy who I, I talk about guys that. I don't really think about too often. And then all of a sudden they make a play and it's like, Oh, well there's that guy. And uh, um, I think it speaks well to Eric DaCosta to have some of these guys that are still in the rotation because he's, he's gets knocked on for his draft record. I think fairly to an extent, but very quietly you have a guy like Ben powers all of a sudden work his way into a starting rotation. Very quietly. You have Devin Duvernay become effectively a wide receiver too. In some instances, maybe not quite that, but uh, pretty close very quietly, Broderick Washington just sticking around. And uh, yeah, he was a, a bit of a force on Sunday. Yeah. And very loudly, a guy like Tyree Phillips getting away early, which you, you're not happy about. And uh, a lot of people are still pissed that, that, that uh, you know, Ben Cleveland is on the bench and whatnot. But, you know, it, I, I agree with you. I think DaCosta's draft record is actually excellent. And more important, his willingness to make the trades necessary on draft on draft day is it's just been huge they got you know nobody's talking about this anymore because in a way geno stone's draft value is lost but they pick up geno stone by trading a six from the next year to get a seven and they acquired geno stone in that draft then they the roster was so crowded they figured they had to cut him thinking they could probably maybe keep him and the texans signed him then the texans cut him and they got him back Kind of fortunate that all that broke the way it did, but Geno Stone, if they'd have been able to keep him the entire time, would have been one hell of a draft pick. I mean, he's he's stepping in for Marcus Williams at a very high level. I don't know what this defense would would be doing right now if it weren't for him. Yeah, he's he's just another guy that's very solid, very sound, and uh, he seems just like a very complete player. And uh, it's it's a nice thing to see for sure. All right, uh, ready ready to talk MVPs? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, you're the guest. Go with your number three guy. My number three guy, I went with Marlon Humphrey. We talked a little bit about it where, uh, you know, cornerback is kind of like the offensive line of the defense, where if you're not saying your name a ton, that's probably a good thing. And uh, they didn't say his name a ton uh, for much of this game. But uh, ultimately, he recovers a fumble, which he mentioned is uh, an underrated skill to be able to get your hands on the ball. And then uh, he makes the interception, which uh, helps to seal this thing off. So he was my number three guy on the defense here. Excellent choice. I think we talked about it enough. I, I I don't really have to say much about him, but boy, I don't know what the team would be doing without Marlon right now either. He's absolutely central to this uh, uh, to this team being good. You know, I hate him playing in the slot, and yet 
boy, what would the Ravens do without him available to play slot corner after Kyle Hamilton went down? And we didn't talk about this much earlier, but Brandon Stevens went in. He made a couple plays, but he's no Marlon Humphrey. Um, and and I think that the Ravens, you know, have decided now he's probably the next best option, which means not Pepe in the slot. It'll be Brandon Stevens, I'm guessing, at right corner with Humphrey in the slot. Uh, when they line up again next week. So uh, we'll see how that develops. But I'm a great pick for Humphrey at number three. I have him higher. Yeah. N- number, uh, my number three guy, Jason Pierre-Paul. Very balanced effort from JPP, I thought. Uh, pass, uh, run, uh, just doing a little bit of everything. And obviously the, having the great hands to to, to make the interception was a, was a nice finish. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great pick. And uh yeah, it speaks to that bargain bin shopping thing that we talked about there. And um, yeah, just a, a guy coming in off the street and making splash plays is always great. So love to see JPP getting some love here. All right, your number two guy. My number two guy is Kyle Hamilton, who I felt like uh, if Marlon is going to get on there for not really showing up a ton uh, and doing his job well there at the outside cornerback position, I think you look at what Kyle Hamilton did from the slot where uh, it kind of feels like an unconventional slot defender role where, like I said, he's coming downhill and making a ton of plays. And uh, I think you mentioned Queen's issues with tackling at times. It feels like that's been endemic of this defense uh, a lot over the last 18 months or so, specifically in 2021. feels like Kyle Hamilton has really solidified things as a tackler for sure. And I think that in turn gives confidence to this entire defense where you've got this 21-year-old kid or whatever he is coming downhill and playing with his hair on fire, but also being very fundamentally sound and just striking guys and uh, using that frame of his to wrap guys up. Uh, I think it's just a, a... very nice tone setting performance that we saw from him in that regard. So Kyle Hamilton, number two for me. Yeah. Very effective to me. Hamilton has done so many things well around the line of scrimmage. He made one great play coming in off the edge in this game. I didn't have him on my list because of total snaps played or maybe some other reason that I can't think of, but he was on my honorable mention list in the article. If you want to see that, it's probably the longest honorable mention list ever <laughs> for, for one game. I just an outstanding, obviously team defensive effort. Just hope he's not injured for very long. My number two guy, Patrick Queen. Um, and it was a very tough call here because Queen had a fantastic game. I just thought Marlon Humphrey's game was, you know, that and a little bit more. Uh, but but Patrick Queen did so much in this game in terms of a pressure component. Um, he had 12 tackle contributions in this game. 10 of them were defensive wins by the football outsiders method. Now that's, a, a, you have to get a certain percentage of the yards based on down and distance, based on down, you have to get a certain percentage of the yards. And uh, to have 10 out of 12, you know, be defensive wins is is not typical Patrick Queen. Patrick Queen has a little bit, had, had I will say, I hope had, because it might be in the past, a little bit of a twister um, method to tackling where he would often allow some yards after contact. I think Roquan has helped him be a better for, for I don't know what the reason is. Let's just put it. I'm seeing better form tackling from Patrick Queen these last couple of games. And this game in particular, I thought he's absolutely fantastic in the hole, making big plays against the run. But that wasn't, those weren't his only contributions. He had some great coverage plays, including one where he's right behind uh, Shy Smith on that right sideline, no, left sideline from the offense's perspective, let's say it that way, um, uh, where uh, he could have made a big play, but the, it was actually Blackshear, wasn't it? The running back Blackshear. But uh, he dropped the pass three yards behind the line of scrimmage. And you could see Patrick Queen was upset by the fact that he didn't get a chance to make another tackle for loss at that point. I like that. Yeah, and uh, I guess I'll go ahead and spoil my number one and uh, let you know that he's it. Uh, Patrick Queen, 
uh, yeah, he was just all over the field uh, making plays in, uh, you know, different facets of the game, which is huge. He's had his issues in the passing game uh, a lot throughout the last couple of years. So to see him make uh, make plays in that regard is great. And then obviously, yeah, you talk about a tone setting performance. I mean, he's shooting gaps. He's like you like you mentioned, the, the tackling has been an issue at times and it, it just really wasn't on Sunday. He was the very, very much the portrait of a complete player. And I think the tackling uh, showing up uh, was was a huge part of that. And uh, the, the leadership as well, I think. I like to see him vocal. I like to see him piss off. I like to see him communicating with his guys. I don't like the the bad body language where maybe he looks like he's inside his own head a little bit. It looked like uh, this was uh, maybe the best performance we've seen out of him in a Ravens uniform, maybe. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that statement. And I, I, I love the fact, it didn't mean it came with all the splash plays that you could. He's had a lot of icing on the cake at other times with a little bit less cake. This was a high cake performance. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's probably his best game as a Raven. Uh, if I had to put all the pieces together here, just uh, really happy with it. So my number one guy, Marlon Humphrey, uh, we've already really given the reasons on Marlon. Fantastic game, but it, it was, a, was a tough choice. It could have been 1A, 1B very easily. I don't tend to you know chicken out like that in terms of the defensive MVPs because, hey, who really cares? So uh, uh, done, done it that way. Uh, Jake, anything else about this defense that you thought was just an overarching point you want to talk about before we go off air here? No, Ken, I think we uh, we hit on it all. It was uh, an all-encompassing episode here, and uh, it was an all-encompassing performance by the defense. So uh, I think uh, I think we did him justice here. Yeah. Well, outstanding. Great to have you on. Tell folks one more time your Twitter handle and where they can find your pod. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. You can find our pod actually on Twitter as well at Podcast Beatdown. And then the show itself is on all podcast platforms at Baltimore Beatdown Podcast and on YouTube as well if you want to check us out. All right. Outstanding. Please give give Luke a, give Jake a follow and give his podcast a try uh, too, please. Uh, other folks out there, if you'd like to be on a film study short, please uh, hit me up with your idea in Twitter. DMs are always open. Uh, if you want to like, subscribe, do all the other things where this ends up on YouTube, which it won't, but the podcast equivalent of that, we'd love it. If you want to write a review, we always love that. Uh, thanks very much. And thanks for listening again. Jake, uh, really appreciate having you on. Just a, a, a great thing. Thanks for spending time with us tonight. No, it was a lot of fun, Ken. Really appreciate the invite. And uh, let's do it again real soon. Will do. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.